Welcome to The Business of Defense, sponsored by ASMC on Federal News Network. Here's today's moderator, Rich Brady. Welcome to The Business of Defense. I'm Rich Brady, your host and CEO at the American Society of Military Comptrollers. ASMC proudly sponsors this podcast on Federal News Network. ASMC is the professional organization of finance and accounting professionals who work in government and business in the defense sector. Our goal is to bridge the gap between the boardroom and the battlefield and drive financial transformation to improve the field of defense financial management and advance the mission of national security. My guest today is Brian Stafford, President and CEO at Diligent. Diligent is a leading governance, risk, and compliance software as a service company. They serve over 1 million users and 700,000 board members around the world with GRC, audit, and ESG solutions. They work with business leaders and customers to build more successful, equitable, and sustainable organizations in both the public and private sectors. Governance, risk, and compliance are the bedrock of any successful company, and I'm excited to hear more about Diligent's work to bring clarity to the constantly evolving risk landscape, highlight and visualize data insights, and create competitive advantages for their clients. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me here. Absolutely. Uh, so let's go back, as I understand it, uh, Diligent uh, has been around for a couple decades in a couple different forms, uh, some different organizational structures, some different financing structures. So you can, can you kind of take us back to the beginning and talk about uh, how Diligent came about and uh, walk us to where we are today? Sure. Diligent came, came about as a governance software company. And by governance, I mean the way organizations would share materials with their board members. And so maybe it's a very specific problem, but actually a large one for organizations where your board members are some of the most senior people in an organization, um, but they're kind of like contractors. They don't sit full time behind your firewalls or don't sit on, typically don't sit on email addresses for your company. And so you find yourself sending the most sensitive material you have to people who are not full time employees. And so what Diligent started out as was a incredibly secure way to take and lock down that communication that you would have with your board members, being board member and company, to make sure that you had the ability to share and send information that was highly sensitive, but one where you would be aware it wouldn't get printed out and left in a you know airport um, lounge or something like that. And so it locked down all that information. And then over time, we've grown much broader than that as some of the challenges of organization have grown grown beyond just secure materials. So it started out, as you said, really focused uh, solely on that kind of the governance side. And now you've moved into risk, compliance, audit, ESG, a number of different areas. Uh, how did you decide you know, where to go in and how did you do that? Was it uh, through organic growth, uh, mergers and acquisitions? So we tend to be led from a growth perspective based on the questions and the issues that our clients face. And so when you look at our clients, which are 75% uh, of the Fortune 1000, two thirds of the DAX 30, 75% of the, the, um, uh, the listed companies in the UK, and reality is they had challenges with governance, but their challenges moved beyond that to areas like audit, areas like compliance, areas like risk, areas like cyber, and areas like ESG. And so from boards of organizations, there's a huge focus on risk management. And all these different areas represent risk, whether it's risk around audit and controls, whether it's risk around cyber, whether it's risk around your enterprise risk management program, or areas like climate risk. And so we have followed our clients' questions and requests into those areas. And what are they talking about now? Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, you hit on all the, the hot button issues of today, but uh, what are they talking about? What's coming next as they assess risk? Because the, the risk landscape is getting much more complex. Well, as we've seen since from the pandemic on, um, the number of risks that organizations have faced just continue to increase in number. Uh, and now we have other risks and opportunities on the horizon, like things like AI, where I find one of the most frequently asked questions we get from our clients, our board users, CEOs, CFOs, or you know, or how do we think about managing and understand AI risk? Huge opportunities, but do you really know 
how many different uh, projects you have going on in your organization and what the potential risk and opportunity with each of those products are, projects are. And so again, as the risk landscape continues to broaden, uh, we get pulled in and asked to help to address and provide solutions around how organizations help manage each of those separate discrete risks. Now, how do, let's go back again a little bit. How did the technology change from when uh, uh, Diligent was, was founded to where it is today? I mean, you started out uh, probably a lot of client-server networks, and then uh, eventually there was the advent of the iPad, and uh, now we're software as a service. Software yes. as a service didn't exist, you know, in, in the, like it is today, you know, 30, 30 years ago. So there was, there was, back in the day, there was a Lotus Notes, Lotus Domino <laughs> phase of the business, but the business has been a, a software as a service business for the last... 15 plus years, okay. um, all, all representing um, people having their own you know, thin clients or applications that they sit and they run, um, all in distributed nature using, using SaaS. Um, we got our start um, from highly secure organizations. We're used by most of the major banks that exist in the world. And when, you, when your customers ask you to up the bar around security, you obviously have to make sure you need to deliver that. So our SaaS platform is incredibly secure in nature. Um, we've invested a ton to making sure that that platform is secure for a defense or federal government environment as well. We are FedRAMP moderate certified, and we are also impact level five from a defense perspective. And so as our clients have asked us to make sure that we maintain the highest bar of, of security investment, we've invested in that. And what you have is basically a highly secure proprietary platform that started out with governance. And now, as I mentioned, moves into audit, IT risk, IT compliance, anything cyber related, uh, climate, uh, across a broad set of risks. Now, you've highlighted some of the unique uh, IT security requirements on the government side. And, and clearly, you're, you're on both sides. You've got commercial customers and, and federal customers. So there's some, some differences here. What's, you know, from a governance perspective or a um, you know, risk landscape perspective, how is the federal government different than what you see from your commercial clients? Uh, in many cases, there are, there are a good amount of overlaps. And so the, um, having that IL-5 qualification certification from, um, from the department also ties to many of our for-profit clients, our, public, uh, our private clients, um, who actually need to make sure they work with the federal government, make sure that they comply with the same level of standards. So I think that is uh, incredibly important across the board. I think where our, um, where our clients in the corporate world have evolved faster is around how they think about governance, which is a slightly different way than the way we think about it in the, gov uh, in the um, federal government perspective. And so that evolution has pulled them proactively into more risks that um, occasionally um, maybe take longer or come from different places from a federal government perspective. Right. You probably don't run into a lot of traditional boards of directors in the federal sector. Not traditional boards of directors, yeah. but across um, the UK, even places like Australia or even places here, we are used by a lot of other federal um, uh, agencies. We have about you know 100 plus federal clients, 17 Department of Defense um, clients. And so um, there are different forms of governance that exist, but right. the idea of having highly secure tools um, that offer the highest level of security to distribute documents in a incredibly secure fashion, I think applies to um, any part of the world or any department you operate in. Now, are your uh, products customizable for the government uh, based on their unique governance structures? Yeah, so we have different configurability. And yep. so whatever your governance structure might be for, um, for any agency you work in, you can set up that at with different permissioning based on different people. Um, and so yes, they're highly configurable. Now, going back uh, also you, to the COVID pandemic, uh, what impact did that have on your business? As I saw, you know, many boards prior to that were, most of their meetings were in person. Obviously, when COVID hit, uh, they couldn't meet in person. Now we've kind of come out of that, and I, as I sense, many boards are, it's a hybrid approach. Uh, so was that uh, obviously beneficial for your business to have everybody going, um, uh, you know, either, either virtual or hybrid, and needing to share documents uh, electronically that they would have traditionally shared, you know, when you actually stepped into the boardroom? Yeah, Rich, it's exactly as you would have expected. It was a material increase in usage across all of our products. 
um, if you're going to be more virtual in the world that you operate in, or, or um, at least show up into the office less frequently, um, it was more secure ways to distribute information, secure ways to access things. Um, one on the on the audit side, finance side, um, and controls and analytics ended up being a big part of where, um, as new threats, as new um, data is coming in for different places, um, part of diligence history, as you mentioned, was an acquisition we did of ACL Analytics, which is a product that many of your um, listeners, I'm sure, have have used, um, which is you know 15 years plus of analytics working with the government, and so we saw a material increase in our analytics products um, during COVID as well as people were monitoring and trying to understand. What are the different sources of, of fraud or attack vectors as they um, unfortunately expanded on us? Now, most of, uh, federal agencies have been able to achieve a, a clean audit at this point. Uh, the Department of Defense is one of the exceptions there. Um, we had an event uh, last week at ASMC where we talked about uh, the auditability within the Department of Defense and their current efforts. And right now they're on a, a goal of achieving a clean audit by uh, 2028. So how could uh, a product like Diligent has you know, support uh, the Department of Defense in achieving that goal? It, it's a great point. It, it, it's our uh, audit and controls products. Um, make it super easy to help to actually move towards that goal or that target from a strategy perspective, from an identification, from a remediation, from a controls perspective. Our product is incredibly well suited for that. I think we are maybe small, or maybe less well known, probably larger in size, but less well known of some of the um, other products used in the Department of Defense, things like Archer or ServiceNow. But if you look across whatever level of, Gar of Gartner's kind of scoring of vendors, we typically end up being top one or top two of all those vendors. And so in the spirit of autom automation controls, clean audits, uh, uh, we think there's a huge opportunity for the government to partner more and making sure that we can help to drive that digital transformation. Even, uh, I mean, is there anything that uh, any companies or organizations you work with that approach the size of the Department of Defense? You know, 800 billion in annual spend, you know, 3 million employees, uh, 60 billion in plant property and equipment. Uh. So, I mean, we, we, like I said, we work on the private side, you know, all the large banks, which are their own <laughs> yeah. nation states in some ways, but the Department of Finance um, uh, and Accounting Services is a, is a very large client of ours as well here. So you don't, uh, you don't see, and a lot of people that I talk to in defense finance and say, maybe it's a bridge too far. Maybe the Department of Defense can't achieve a, a clean audit just because of the complexity of it. You would suggest that no, no, we, no we, organization we would, is too uh, complex. We would, uh, you know, I would challenge our own government yeah. <laughs> to make sure that we can actually come up with a clean audit. And I think with the right tools and processes, um, uh, automation uh, and controls, uh, I think we will all see that happen. And we're all looking forward to that happening. Great. You're listening to The Business of Defense with my guest, Brian Stafford, President and CEO at Diligent. We'll be right back. The U.S. defense industry is large, complex, and competitive. It is also lucrative for those companies able to navigate it successfully. The American Society of Military Comptrollers helps bridge the gap between the boardroom and the battlefield while supporting transformation in the defense sector. The Business of Defense podcast brings you inside the companies working to achieve this directly from the business leaders and to understand how they create value for their companies and their customers. For more information on ASMC, visit asmconline.org. Welcome back to The Business of Defense, sponsored by ASMC on Federal News Network. I'm talking with Brian Stafford, President and CEO at Diligent. As a leader in governance, risk, and compliance, Diligent not only helps organizations around the world meet their ESG commitments, but they also establish their own ESG commitments. Words are nothing without actions, and Diligent's efforts are focused on people, planet, and purpose. As the world faces mounting geopolitical, social, and economic challenges, Sustainable business management is not just a trend, it's an imperative. Let's dive right back in. Brian, could we talk a little bit about uh, ESG? It, uh, in some respects, uh, it's become a, a three-letter word out there that uh, corporations right now are shying away from. Um, there's some pullback in investments uh, in ESG, but at the same time, when I talk to colleagues 
uh, in other parts of the world, uh, like Europe and even India, uh, ESG is still a front burner issue. Um, so where do you see ESG right now uh, in not only on the corporate side, but also in the federal government? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I guess if you take a step back from the world of acronyms that we operate in today, what we do at Diligent is help organizations ma uh, better manage all those elements of risk they have from IT risk, from talent risk, and then other is like climate risk. And I think in m many places outside the U.S., um, climate or sustainability or carbon footprint is basically what they're asked us to, me to measure. And so we, just like our history and audit and control software, we have a carbon accounting software program that we've created, which helps all organizations of any size help to manage their scope one, scope two, and scope three em emissions. And I think anyone you would talk to um, <laughs> within the government or outside the government, um, especially some of our largest clients, that look, the reality is um, we need to at least track and measure what our carbon footprint is. I will leave it to shareholders, the SEC, anyone else to decide what um, targets they set for that. But I think every organization, it comes back to, you know, as a CEO, um, you can't um, uh, manage what you don't measure. So we start collecting the data. And so whether it's in Europe or whether it's for some of our largest clients here, uh, people are asking us to help them do, you put our carbon accounting software, just like we do with accounting and audit software and other areas, our own financial areas, to tie it to actually carbon footprint. And we're seeing huge growth in that. Yeah, a lot of uh, companies will say, you know, they express concern about the difficulty of accounting for this, uh, particularly the scope three. Um, have any of your clients gone through this and it, have, they've audited uh, financial statements from this uh, um, and so that you can show that, hey, you, know, you can account for this, it's possible to do it. Uh, uh, it do, it does, takes more work, but you know. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, even just like some of our largest defense clients, such as like DFAS, use us to help to um, use our software for audit and controls. Some of our largest private clients today are using us to help to manage their scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions. To your point, scope one and scope two are much better and easier to find. Right. Um, scope three ends up requiring a bit of um, uh, a bit of the art of the possible and a bit of kind of extrapolation. Um, but all of our software depends on which, whatever space you play in. It's all designed to be audited by all the big four and any audit firms as well, because everybody has to make their audit. And now, just like financial commitments, any um, uh, sustainability commitments people are making, you want to make sure you have the ability to audit them. Are any of your federal clients or DOD clients like DFAS uh, asking for uh, this ability at this time, or you know? N not yet. Most yeah. of the most of the requests have come in from from our large U.S. corporates or European clients, but um, uh, it's actually quite big in Asia Pacific as well. So whenever organizations, just like the SEC, is rumored to be doing that in the U.S makes a requirement around disclosure of anything, whatever it is, financial disclosure, carbon disclosure. Um, we have a fantastic set of tools to help with any of those disclosures. Now, can you talk a little bit about your own personal commitment, diligence commitment uh, to uh, ESG? Yeah, so independent of whatever you might hear from, um, uh, from the Hill or people politically, uh, I fundamentally believe as a leader, uh, my aspiration is to leave our organization um, hopefully better, <laughs> hopefully no less worse. Uh, than whatever we inherited. And so for us as a team, we do exactly that. We measure our commitment to things like um, like carbon footprint, like climate, sustainability, as well as talent in other areas too. It's uh, It turns to be a huge driver and people coming and want to work for us. And it's also increasingly, and this probably doesn't get enough um, play, but um, most of our largest clients, um, what I said, the banks or even um, Department of Defense or other areas, um, actually and when we respond to a RFP, kind of a you know written response to request, um, want us to actually disclose what sustainability goals we're signing up to as well. Because ultimately, what you have as an organization, and whether you're government or private sector, is you also have the ability to force and push your suppliers <laughs> yeah. in a direction that you see fit. And you're seeing more and more of that. And so 
ultimately we believe that we can do well by doing good, and I think that ties to multiple areas or things that we touch. In some respects, I think it uh, forces a longer-term perspective on on companies, corporations, that uh, if they're publicly traded, they get kind of pushed into this short-term, quarter-to-quarter uh, mentality. Do you see that uh, ESG or sustainability, whatever we want to call it, is a good counterbalance to that? Again, uh, gets companies to think uh, that longer-term, and from an accounting perspective, keeps us focused on making sure our companies or our organizations are going concerns. I mean, I fundamentally believe as, as a leader um, in transparency. And so we will be transparent about whatever it is, whether financial goals, whether it's um, talent, whether it is um, sustainability goals. And then you as a customer, you as an employee, you as an investor can decide whether to invest in uh, our company or not. And so whatever choices you make, it depends on, I'll share the information, you can make that choice. And I fundamentally believe that being more transparent about these things, putting data and information out there allows people to make choices around which vendor or partner they want to work with or which company they want to work with, and I think that ultimately will steer us all in the right direction. You also mentioned that uh, you find that it's helping you attract talent. Uh, I mean, is there a positive, you see a positive ROI from a talent management perspective uh, with I, your efforts? I think from a customer perspective or from a talent perspective, people tend to like organizations where they share the same set of values. And we've been just very clear and transparent about what our values are. Um, we don't, um, we're not overly pushy about it, but that's kind of how we are and how we operate. Do you fundamentally believe that you can um, uh, do well while doing good? And um, that's been helpful in tracking our team. We are less um, pushy about it <laughs> uh, or less vocal about it, but we tend to stick to our knitting and try to do good work on behalf of our clients. And I think that shows through in the tools and the, the application we create and the fantastic clients we work with. Now, what, uh, how did you get into this line of business and, uh, and you know, what, what influenced uh, your perception on this, the kind of culture you're trying to create within Diligent? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I started out um, after I graduated from my um, from an undergrad. Um, I went and I started a company, and it was for many people who remember it was part of the time of the dot com boom or a bubble. And my startup at the time didn't work as well as I thought it would, so I figured I'd go back to school, learn a little bit more, and then uh, and then I went and worked at a management consulting firm called McKinsey and Company um, for a little over ten years. Uh, and at that period of time, someone who I'd worked with in the past called me up and said um, they were uh, vice this individual's vice chairman of Diligent and said. Great opportunity, great company, great potential platform um, that could extend beyond governance, but in areas like risk, compliance, um, uh, and uh, and it's been a fantastic opportunity, and I'm approaching my ninth year anniversary here. Great, well, congratulations. Thank uh, you. Where do you see uh, opportunities for growth, let's say, over the next uh, five to 10 years? Uh, I think in, uh, I think as we talked about before, I think the, the general scope of risk management and how you provide governance over those risks just keeps expanding. Whatever you define as a risk, whether it's you know, areas like your, um, uh, how you run your books from an audit and controls perspective, whether it's cyber and IT risk, or whether it's things that we're talking about climate, or other things you mentioned earlier, like AI, I think those risks just continue to grow. If anything, the last five years have told us that there will be unexplained risks, and I feel like that will continue to grow in terms of the opportunity. Um, also then, from a mix of clients perspective, we are a very global business. Um, more than half of our revenue is outside the US, um, all across the world. Um, but here, if I look at some of the spaces that we're talking about, uh, we, per we have a purpose-built application. <laughs> like I said, impact level five from the department, FedRAMP moderate, that actually helps organizations better manage all elements of audit, risk, compliance, whatever you put into those risk factors that you're doing. And we need to do a better job of making sure that we're better known as the impact we have on massive organizations like DFAS 
and other different departments and agencies um, and defense contractors. And so uh, I think there's a huge opportunity for us to grow here within the US and here within the federal government. Now, obviously, that takes, uh, if you're trying to create a model around risk, it takes a lot of data. Where are you able to pull all of that data in from? Uh, and are there some unique challenges within DOD with if you're looking for feeder systems or legacy systems, getting the data that you need. Yeah, so ultimately we launched the Diligent One platform in uh, September of last year, which is putting together a couple of different acquisitions we've had all on the same platform and helping provide you one single platform to help to measure all of your audit risk and compliance needs. And it starts out with over 120 built-in integration and connectors into other systems. And so whether it's proprietary systems, whether it's other um, enterprise risk management, our enterprise resource um, planning systems, it's we suck at all information. And then one of the things I noted earlier is one of the things that, that we have a history in is ACL analytics, which takes and takes all that information once you have it in one place and understands and monitors for fraud, for anomalies in the data, which if you're gonna do an audit, yeah. <laughs> if you're gonna make sure you put in the right controls, you gotta make sure that you're checking for any of those anomalies in the data. And then we help you manage it and put a series of applications on top of it to help to make sure that you can go to one place to help to manage all those needs because everyone we talk to, the risk landscape continues to grow, continues to get broader, and there's yet again another risk that now you have to report on. Right. I want to, I want to come back to uh, AI, generative uh, artificial intelligence. We talked a little bit about it from the perspective of it's an increasing risk out there, but can you talk a little bit about how you're leveraging it within uh, Diligent to, to help uh, analyze data and create narratives and to support uh, uh, your customers? Yeah, so in two ways. I'll talk about how we're using it uh, internally, and then I'll talk about how other things that our clients are increasingly asking about. Internally, we use um, AI to help to give us more productivity around many of our processes, um, which I think you know is well known or well or increasingly well known or thought of. But on the product side and the value that our clients get from it, it's actually making sure that we can analyze more data, look for more anomalies faster. And so all those ACL analytics, those robots that we have, are now AI powered to make it less work for people to write scripts. The scripts basically write themselves and go out there and collect that information. And then all of our applications are having a chatbot built into them, so you can ask any other questions and query it in any in any way. Uh, and I th think there's going to be a lot of growth on the AI side and how people think about AI-driven risk management. Um, what we're increasing here from our clients as well with our governance hat on, our governance and risk hat on, is organizations saying, asking a question at the leadership, the board, the committee level on down that says, where are we using AI? <laughs> Does anyone know? <laughs> is anyone controlling it? Um, what kind of AI are we using? Are we using separate models we train on our own data? Um, are we allowed to do that? What privacy is associated with that? Or are we using third-party uh, large language models, LLMs? Uh, and how do we feel about that? Are they using the right data and information? How does that translate back? And so the massive growth in AI is causing all of us from government to business to, like I said, boards of directors to say, how exactly are we using it? And what's the right governance structure for how we're using it? And for many organizations, it's quickly playing catch up to understand the different experiments going on and then understand and provide some governance around uh, how those experiments are doing and what impact they're having. Well, it's good to hear that uh, they're asking questions and it sounds like they're asking the right questions and that uh, you've got the products to help them understand that risk as well. It's, uh, it's as we've been talking about, just the, I don't know what that next, next risk will be, but uh, again, uh, how do you manage all those and do you manage it through different documents or different reports or ideally you have one system where you can go to, which makes everyone's life easier and allows you, to your point, be able to audit it. Absolutely. Great. Thank you very much, uh, Brian. I'd like to thank today's guest, Brian Stafford, President and CEO at Diligent, for sharing more about Diligent's mission and purpose, commitment to ESG, and growth to be a global leader in governance, risk, and compliance. Watch the Business of Defense next month, where we bring you inside the companies working to drive change in the defense sector, to hear directly from their business leaders, and to understand how they create value for their companies and their customers. 
And check out ASMC's website at asmconline.org to learn more about and register for upcoming education and professional development opportunities, including the Professional Development Institute in Phoenix, Arizona this May. I'm Rich Brady, CEO of the American Society of Military Comptrollers. You are listening to the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search ASMC. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Business of Defense, sponsored by ASMC on Federal News Network. 